Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about neonatal jaundice. And if you want to follow along with written notes on this topic, you can follow along at zerodefinals.com slash neonatal jaundice or in the neonatology section of the Zero to Finals pediatrics book. So let's get straight in. Jaundice refers to an abnormally high level of bilirubin in the blood. We need to have some basic understanding of the process of bilirubin production in the blood so that we can understand where this bilirubin comes from when we break down the causes of neonatal jaundice. Red blood cells contain unconjugated bilirubin. When red blood cells break down, they release unconjugated bilirubin into the blood. Unconjugated bilirubin is then conjugated in the liver and conjugated bilirubin is excreted in two ways either via the biliary system into the gastrointestinal tract or into the urine. Firstly, the main cause of neonatal jaundice is called physiological jaundice, and we need to understand why this happens. There's a high concentration of red blood cells in the fetus and the neonate. These red blood cells are more fragile than normal red blood cells. The fetus and the neonate also have less well-developed liver function. Fetal red blood cells break down more rapidly than normal red blood cells, releasing lots of bilirubin. Normally, this bilirubin is excreted via the placenta. However, at birth, the fetus no longer has access to the placenta to excrete the bilirubin. This leads to a normal rise in bilirubin shortly after birth, causing a mild yellowing of the skin and the sclera, usually from day 2 to 7 of age. This usually resolves completely by 10 days, and most babies will remain otherwise healthy and well. Other than physiological jaundice, there are other causes of neonatal jaundice. The causes of neonatal jaundice can be split into increased production of bilirubin and decreased clearance of bilirubin. Firstly, let's talk about the causes of increased production of bilirubin, and these are hemolytic disease of the newborn, ABO incompatibility, hemorrhage, intraventricular hemorrhage, cephalohematomas, polycythemia, sepsis and disseminated intravascular coagulation or DIC, and G6PD deficiency. And we're going to talk about these causes in a bit more detail shortly. Next, we need to talk about the causes of neonatal jaundice that are caused by decreased clearance of bilirubin, and these are prematurity, breast milk jaundice, neonatal cholestasis, extrahepatic biliary atresia, endocrine disorders such as hypothyroid or hypopituitary, and Gilbert syndrome. A quick Tom tip for you at this point, jaundice in the first 24 hours of life is pathological. This needs urgent investigations and management, and neonatal sepsis is a common cause. Neonates with jaundice within 24 hours of birth need treatment for sepsis if they have any other clinical features or risk factors. Let's go through some of the causes in more detail. Firstly, jaundice in premature neonates. In premature babies, the process of physiological jaundice is exaggerated due to an immature liver. This increases the risk of complications, particularly connicterus. And connicterus is brain damage due to high levels of bilirubin in the blood. 
Bilirubin levels need to be carefully monitored in premature babies as they may require prompt treatment to bring the levels down. Next, let's talk about breast milk jaundice. Babies that are breastfed are more likely to have neonatal jaundice, and there are several potential reasons for this. Components of breast milk inhibit the ability of the baby's liver to process the bilirubin. Breastfed babies are more likely to become dehydrated if they're not feeding adequately, and inadequate breastfeeding may lead to slow passage of stools, increasing the absorption of bilirubin in the intestines. Breastfeeding should still be encouraged as the benefits of breastfeeding far outweigh the risks of breastfeeding, although mothers may need extra support and advice to ensure adequate breastfeeding so the baby does not become dehydrated. Next, let's talk about hemolytic disease of the newborn. Hemolytic disease of the newborn is a cause of hemolysis, which is red blood cells breaking down. And when red blood cells break down, they release bilirubin into the blood, which causes the jaundice. Hemolytic disease of the newborn is caused by incompatibility between the rhesus antigens on the surface of the red blood cells of the mother and the fetus. The rhesus antigens on the red blood cells vary between individuals, and this is different to the ABO blood group system. There are many different types of rhesus antigens that can be present or absent depending on the person's blood type, and the most important antigen within the rhesus blood group is called the rhesus D antigen. When a woman that is rhesus D negative, meaning they do not have the rhesus D antigen on their red blood cells, becomes pregnant, we have to consider the possibility that her child will be rhesus D positive, meaning that they have the rhesus D antigen on their red blood cells. It's likely that at some point in the pregnancy, the blood from the baby will find its way into the mother's bloodstream. When this happens, the baby's red blood cells display the rhesus D antigen, and the mother's immune system will recognize this rhesus D antigen as foreign and produce antibodies to this antigen. This means the mother has become sensitized to rhesus D antigens. Usually, this sensitization process does not cause problems during the first pregnancy, unless the sensitization happens early on, such as during antepartum hemorrhage. During subsequent pregnancies, the mother's anti-D antibodies can cross the placenta into the fetus. If the fetus is rhesus positive, these antibodies attach themselves to the red blood cells of the fetus and cause the immune system of the fetus to attack its own red blood cells. And this leads to hemolysis, causing anemia and high bilirubin levels. This cause of hemolysis is called hemolytic disease of the newborn. Next, let's talk about prolonged jaundice. Jaundice is classified as prolonged when it lasts longer than would be expected with physiological jaundice. And this is more than 14 days in full-term babies and more than 21 days in premature babies. Prolonged jaundice should prompt further investigations to look for a possible underlying cause. The aim of these investigations is to test for conditions that will cause jaundice to persist after the initial neonatal period. And these are conditions such as biliary atresia, hypothyroidism and G6PD deficiency. So what investigations would you arrange in prolonged jaundice? We'll start with a full blood count and blood film to look for polycythemia or anemia a conjugated bilirubin, and if there's elevated levels of conjugated bilirubin, think about a hepatobiliary cause, particularly biliary atresia. 
blood type testing of the mother and the baby for ABO or rhesus incompatibility, a direct Coombs test or a direct antiglobulin test to look for hemolysis, thyroid function, particularly testing for hypothyroidism, blood and urine cultures if infection is suspected, suspected sepsis needs treatment with antibiotics, and also glucose-6-phosphate dehydrogenase levels to look for G6PD deficiency. Let's talk about management. In jaundice neonates, total bilirubin levels are monitored and plotted on treatment threshold charts. These charts are specific for the gestational age of the baby. The age of the baby is plotted on the x-axis and the total bilirubin level is plotted on the y-axis. When the total bilirubin reaches the threshold on the chart, they need to be commenced on treatment in order to lower the bilirubin level. A quick Tom tip, it's worth familiarising yourself with the treatment threshold charts for neonatal jaundice, as you may be asked to plot or interpret one of these in your exams. Take care to note the time the baby was born and count in hours. This will be a common task that you need to be familiar with if you ever work in paediatrics. There are usually two lines on treatment threshold charts. The first is for phototherapy and the second is for exchange transfusions. Phototherapy is usually adequate to manage most babies who have neonatal jaundice. Extremely high levels of bilirubin may require an exchange transfusion. And exchange transfusions involve removing blood from the neonate and replacing it with donor blood. Let's talk more about phototherapy. Phototherapy converts unconjugated bilirubin into isomers that can be excreted in the bile and urine without requiring conjugation in the liver. Phototherapy involves removing clothing down to the nappy and exposing the skin and using eye patches to protect the eyes. A light box shines UV light onto the baby's skin. Double phototherapy involves using two light boxes and the bilirubin is closely monitored during treatment. Once the phototherapy is complete, a rebound bilirubin should be measured 12 to 18 hours after stopping the phototherapy, and this is to ensure the levels do not rise again above the treatment threshold. Finally, let's talk a bit about connectorus. Connectorus is a type of brain damage caused by excessive bilirubin levels. It's the main reason why we treat neonatal jaundice in order to keep the bilirubin levels below certain thresholds. Bilirubin as a chemical is able to cross the blood-brain barrier. Excessive bilirubin causes direct damage to the central nervous system. Connectorus presents with a less responsive, floppy, drowsy baby with poor feeding. The damage to the nervous system is permanent resulting in cerebral palsy, learning disability, and deafness. Thankfully, connectorus is now rare because we have effective treatment of the jaundice that can be initiated early to prevent the levels getting high enough to cause damage. So thanks for listening to this episode on neonatal jaundice. A big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing the podcast. If you found the podcast helpful and you want written notes on this topic and all the other topics, you can find them in the Zero to Finals Pediatrics book which is available on Amazon. You can also find a full audiobook version of the Zero to Finals books on Audible. And you can find notes, videos, illustrations and questions completely free on the Zero to Finals website at zerotofinals.com. 
and I hope you tune in for the next episode where we'll talk about prematurity. <laughs>